Next Sunday, uh, Pastor Stewart will be in Psalm 13. I want to encourage, if you have some time, just I think it's just six verses, if I recall right, and, and just an opportunity to read that, meditate on it this week. I think you'll be uh, encouraged as we look at yet another one of the lament psalms, How Long, O Lord. Um, so that'll be next Sunday. Then the week after that, Lord willing, we'll be back in the book of Acts, last part of chapter 18. Paul moves into his third missionary journey, so we'll pick up on Acts 18, and then hopefully um, through the spring, finish up uh, the book of Acts. Deception. It is real, and it is destructive. We began to talk about this last week. It happens all the time. Ten years ago, there was a, an evolutionary biologist that being his, his title as a university professor, wrote a book attempting to explain the logic of self-deceit, trying to understand why it is that we would deceive ourselves and, and looking at it from his evolutionary understanding of man. Not, not a Christian book by any means, clearly arguing from an atheistic perspective. Um, but in the preface, here's what he wrote. We are thoroughgoing liars, even to ourselves. Our most prized possession, language, not only strengthens our ability to lie, but greatly extends its range. We can lie about events distant in space and time, about the details and meaning of the behavior of others, and even about our innermost thoughts and desires. But why self-deception? Why do we possess marvelous sense organs to detect information only to distort it upon arrival? Interesting premise. His argument, as he goes on to use the book to, to develop, is that we self-deceive, we deceive ourselves because it makes it easier to deceive others. If we've convinced ourselves of the lie, then it's easier to sell it to, uh, to other people. You may agree or disagree, but I would suggest to you that Professor Trivers is particularly right on his first point. We are thoroughgoing liars. That is not something that um, is just a principle that man has discovered. God says it. Back in Psalm 5, it's repeated in the book of Romans. There is no truth in their mouth. God has been demonstrating that to man, that this is the reality. We have been proving it ever since the fall of man, ever since sin entered humanity. If you take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to continue to pick up in 2 Timothy 3. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are actually empowered to resist lying. We have, by God's grace, by the work of his Holy Spirit, we can live to the calling that says, um, put away falsehood and speak the truth in love. And yet, we still, as we saw last week, we are still vessels of, of flesh. We are weak. We are susceptible to temptation. We are in a world that is still a a domain of darkness, and so therefore there is pressure, there is temptation, there is weakness in our own flesh that causes us to still to succumb to lying and deception, because certainly they are the norm in, in the world around us in many different ways, and Satan is behind all of it. He is a destroyer. He wishes to bring hate and, and disunity and bitterness to individual believers and certainly to the body of Christ, and that's why we must be on guard. As I said to you last week, I, I think Scripture primarily gives two means of avoiding deception, of understanding it and, and avoiding it. The one being to study how deception works, how it manifests itself. That's what we did last week in the first five verses of 2 Timothy chapter 3, just uh, vices that we understand to be wrong, but also things that as he's describing them there are 
are sort of weapons, are, are, are things that are used that, that bring this sort of deception to the surface, ways that we are, are lying, that we are not being consistent with the truth. And so it's good to remind ourselves of those tactics and those weapons so we know them. But the second way is then living out a deep commitment to lean into God's truth, to push into the authority of God's truth, to, to hold fast to God's word and to know what he says is true and not be swayed from it so that we, we better identify that which is in error, that which is lying. And so we looked at, again, verses two through five, long list of marks that help us see deception. We all sin. We, we don't look at this list and go, I'm glad I don't do any of these things because we all, can, we all can spot some of these things at various points in our lives. We all have moments when we are unloving, ungrateful, stubborn, impatient, uh, not seeking peace, focused primarily on, on self. Um, the, the call as believers is to recognize those things and to to turn from them, to repent of them, to acknowledge them for, for what they are. But when such traits become patterns from which a person does not turn, which become characteristic of that person's life, and, and it becomes just their normal way of doing things so that they are often self-absorbed and reckless and arrogant and hurtful to others, that kind of ongoing, unrepentant sort of pattern is really what is, is being warned here because it's not consistent with a commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. When this becomes the norm, something's not, not matching up right compared to, to what we know about Christ and what we are called to in, in terms of believing in him and then being sanctified or changed. So the immediate context here in 2 Timothy 3 is, is false teachers, false teachers who are creeping into the body, who are coming with evidence of some of these vices that, that Timothy's saying, pay attention for these things. These things are clues that, that tell you that, that these people are not who they claim to be. They're creeping into the church. And so Paul's equipping Timothy and the body to, to identify them, to recognize their sin, their error. But the broader application, as we saw last week in verse 1, is in these last days. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. We are in the last days. We are in these times, difficulty, as I said to you last week, fierce times, evil times. And we are in these. This has been since Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. We have been living in the last days since that moment when Jesus Christ left the disciples. His followers have been longing for his return. We live in that state now, regardless of, of how you look at the sequence of events of the last days and the return of Christ. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are expecting his return, and we are in what is described in the New Testament as the last days, which is why we need to be on guard so that we don't get sucked into the world's approach, worldly wisdom, self-centeredness, arrogance, hate, conceit, hurting others. Verse 5, Paul says to Timothy that, that there are people who are deceived about their own faith in Christ. They lack true godliness. We ended here last week. Those who, who want to, to have a form of, of sort of Christ following, a, a label, a symbol of some kind. So they want their lives. They want to do as they please. They want all that they want and, and somehow to add Christ into that mix and add some blessing. And, and so his point here is to say when when those are within the body, those sorts of people, and they are persisting in that, and they are deceiving others, he says at the end of verse 5, avoid such 
people. It is a, a present tense, ongoing, at, at some point, they cannot persist as if they are just part of the body of Christ when they are actually carrying on this work because, as he now explains, they are destructive. And that's what he picks up on in verse 6. Verse six here's the consequences. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins, led astray by various passions, always learning, never being able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Yanis and Yambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. Let me start with the last part of that first, Yanis and Yambres. These are names, if you go back in your concordance and you look for them in the Old Testament, you don't find these names, but they were commonly taught, and, and we have it in, in Jewish record from the, even the first century, that the rabbis had taught over the years that these were the names of at least two of the Egyptian magicians. If you remember when Moses first goes to Pharaoh to say, let my people go, let God's people out of here, that, that Pharaoh brings out his own magicians. Because what Moses does is he displays acts of God's power. He does things that, that prove that I'm not an ordinary guy here who's calling for the release of your slaves. I am sent by God, and so I'm acting in the power of God, and these miracles are to verify that. Pharaoh brings his magicians. They try, un, un, unable to completely do what, what he's able to do. They try, though, to sort of imitate that and they are unable to do the powerful works that only God can do. The, the point of Paul bringing them in here is he's saying these, these false teachers are just like these guys. Just as these magicians watched what was happening and saw the power of God, they saw these miracles and they consulted with themselves and knew that we can't do whatever this is happening here, whatever this is happening through Moses, because there's something supernatural here. There's something powerful here. We'll, we'll try to imitate it, though, in some way. We'll try to come up with something that, that looks good, some smoke and mirrors. And, and what, what Paul is saying, just as these guys saw the power of God and couldn't explain it, but instead of conceding to it, said, we're still going to fight it. We're still going to try to disprove it in some way. We're still going to try to show that, that man can do this, what really only God can do. So that's what these false teachers are doing. They, they hear God's word. They see God at work. And yet, they're just out for themselves. They are destroying people. They should know better. And yet, they are lying to exalt self and diminish God. This is, this is classic Romans 1 that says people don't just just miss the existence of God as they look at creation. They, they actually suppress the truth about God. They, they deny it. They, they press it down, the, the idea that there's a God who created all this because he's, he's clear that there's a, a designer, an architect in creation, and so they suppress the truth, and that's what, these, that, that's what those magicians were doing. That's what the false teachers are doing, and that is deception. And so Paul says there are victims of this. There are painful consequences of this. These false teachings worm their way into households, and it says, capture weak women. Now, before you think, oh, Paul, that is sexist and derogatory. Why would you, why would you say that? Three quick things just to, to help explain this. First of all, this is God's word. 
This is not just the ramblings of a guy. This is the Holy Spirit giving to Paul instruction and inspiring the words. This is the Spirit of God who is speaking at this point. Secondly, I would remind you that he goes on to say that it's the men in this who are the ones who are disqualified from the faith. It's the men in this who are carrying out the the worst of the evil here because they are knowingly, like those magicians, opposing the power of God and the truth of God. They are actually distorting for self-gain and so the condemnation really here is on the, the false teachers. But the third thing is, is this is a description of the facts at the time, presumably Timothy still in Ephesus. And so this is, not a, this is not a broad brush statement about women. It is a statement about some women whom the false teachers managed to prey on. And, and the indication is that when it says that they were sort of weighed down, this, this burden of guilt and led astray by various passions, striving to try to learn, never coming to a knowledge of the truth, that, that these are Women who, who have an experience that's not unlike the struggle that many of us have gone through prior to faith in Christ, which is I have this burden of guilt and I want some relief from it. I need help. And, and along come these false teachers trying to offer something else other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they are destroying. They are leading astray. And, and, and it, it is, as is always the case, there is with false teaching this sort of sweet sort of appeal that's a veneer that covers up wretched death underneath it. And, and, and so they're bringing something that sounds like it will alleviate their burden in some way when it will not. Satan's weapons destroy. This, I, by the way, I, I would just say, I, I think has particular relevance to us in our culture because the, the pathways into households Back in that day, you know, there was, there was probably more willingness. We, we don't answer the door for the most part anymore. When somebody knocks, we, we check our phone or we peek out and we go, nope, not going to bother. It's not anybody I know. We don't answer. Back, back in those days, I, back in my day, we answered the door periodically. Um, so so the, the going to the household is, was, was one way. We've got all kinds of pathways into people's lives today, most of them right in our hand on the phone, that, that false teaching teaching and error, lies, it's just there, and it's prevalent. It sometimes goes under the guise of Christian media in some ways, and there's stuff that, that you, you see and you go, oh, that, that is not sound doctrine. So this, this has some relevance, what he's describing here, but there's encouragement here. He says, Satan's weapons destroy, but, but he offers Timothy hope in verse 9, but they will not get very far. For their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Remember the story of Moses. The Egyptians were determined to stop Moses and to get rid of him and and to disprove him in some way. And what happened? Ultimately, the Egyptians were crushed by God. God's defeat of them is sure, and his people are released. And God assures that he is the victor in all of that. And he says, just as happened with those two men, you can rest assured that even these false teachers are hemmed in by my sovereign boundaries. They will only go so far, and they will be exposed. They will be exposed, and they will experience the judgment of God as the frauds that they really are. That gets us back then to what exposes that. The one way is by helping people see, here's here's what deception looks like. Here's some of the the, the clues that help us to see that. But also then, as he's going to now go on and explain, one of the best ways to expose them 
is by a commitment to the truth. It is by a determination to, to rest in the authority of God's word and to press into that and know it and not be moved from it. So here's that second part. Look at verse 10. You, Paul to Timothy now, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Oh, stop there. Up, up to this point in Paul's letter, one of the, the realities has been there, there is, I won't say it's a darkness to the letter, but there is a sort of bleakness at points in this letter in the sense that Paul is warning Timothy. Paul is, begins, in fact, that level of warning by pointing out his own circumstances. It's clear in chapter one, he is imprisoned. He's being held by the Roman Empire. Those who... Paul has considered close companions have, a, have deserted him. He is alone. He is, uh, you get to chapter four, realizing that he is perhaps nearing the end for him. And there is a sense at this point that if, if Paul is your mentor, as he was for Timothy, if he's your, your model to follow, things don't seem to be going especially well at this point. Um, he's, he's very stark in his acknowledgement in chapter one that, that things have taken a turn here. Chapter 2, he warns Timothy about suffering and the reality and says, you must suffer as a good soldier. He, he warns Timothy, you must work hard. He warns Timothy of those opponents who will seek to quarrel with him and, and how he must stand up to them and correct them because of the sake of the flock and protect the flock. He, he warns Timothy about youthful passions that will, will tempt him. And so there's all of these warnings and then we get to, to chapter 3 and what we've already read about in the last days, there will be difficult times. If you are Timothy, at, at this point, as you're reading this letter, um, and, and you're looking at the situation around you, and, and the false teachers are apparently showing up, and they are quarreling with you, no one is going to blame you if you're starting to feel a little discouraged at this point, and you're starting to wonder, when, when, when does this get better? Um, Here's Paul, here's his mentor, seeming to be heading for a bad ending, warning of all of these things. Here's the reality before him. And there's a chance here that Timothy is, is fearful and discouraged at this moment, as any of us would be in these circumstances, which is why the last part of chapter 3 here is so crucial. Because in the midst of the dark domain, the, the deception that's all around there is hope. Paul is exhorting Timothy here with this encouragement. You, however, Timothy, don't give up. God's equipped you for this. First, he's given you an example to follow. And Paul then cites the example of himself in verses 10 and 11. You followed my teaching, my conduct, my Aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. 
we read that, and, 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 and let's be honest, there's a little sense of awkwardness there when it's my, 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 and we kind of go, Paul, what are you doing here? Does, it, it almost sounds like bragging. But the reality that behind this is Timothy already knows the heart and soul of Paul's teaching. Timothy knows when Paul says, Watch my, you've watched my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my steadfastness, my persecutions, that Timothy had heard Paul over and over again in ministry say, not I, but Christ in me. It's not about me. It's about Christ in me. And so when he runs through this series of things that are mine, Timothy understands what's behind all that. This is not Paul making the claim that if you just watch me and, and all that I've done, that you'll have it. It's all based on what Paul's been teaching Timothy all these years. And it's not me, it's Christ. Let me just recite for you some of the things in Paul's letters. I live by faith in the Son of God. My weakness, 2 Corinthians 12, displays God's grace and my strength. When, when I am weak, it's his strength that's manifest. My foolishness shows his wisdom. My limited halting speech, when I, when I speak the gospel and people get saved, that is a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That is God who's at work. It's not my words. My suffering has brought Christ's comfort. My persecution has brought his rescue. Paul says, where there's fruit, where there's anything good that's come out of my ministry, it's because Christ has led me in triumphal procession. It's because the aroma of Christ has somehow come out through my life. It's him doing this. My, my confidence, he says, comes from Christ. I have no sufficiency of my own. My sufficiency is from God. I have this ministry by God's mercy. And on and on are these references in Paul's writings that say, this is not about me. If there's anything bad that has come about it, that's me. If there's anything good and there's been fruit that has been born, it is Christ in me. He is the merciful one who has given strength and provided all the provision that I need to do this. All of those things I mentioned there are, are statements Paul made in his letters, and, and, and Timothy had heard these time after time as Paul preached. I can only imagine Timothy as he's reading this letter, and he gets to verses, it wouldn't have said 10 and 11, it didn't have chapter breaks and verses and all that, but when he gets to the part that says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim, purpose in life, I, 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 can, I almost want to imagine Timothy in that moment thinking, I know, Paul, I know. I heard it a thousand times from you, brother. It's about Christ. It's about Christ in you. And the same Christ who's in you is in me. It's going to be okay because Christ is in this. And this is all about exalting him. Timothy knew Paul wasn't bragging. I, years ago when I, I worked in politics, I worked a couple of campaign seasons. So you're out with the candidate when, when they're speaking and they're speaking at the Rotary Club and they're they're, they're speaking at some pastor's gathering or they're speaking at some local coffee shop or they're in a debate. And the first couple times, it's sort of novel and you're hearing their stories and, and, and they're interesting and, and they tell them so well and you're just taking them in. And about the fifth or sixth or seventh time, it's like, oh man, if I have to hear this story one more time, right? This is, this is worse than, you know, the, the old 
you know, my, my, you know, my dearly beloved grandparent, right, who would tell the same story over and I have to keep traveling with this candidate and hear this story again and again and again. I, I really believe that Timothy understands full well. I've, I've heard, I, I know what you mean, Paul. I know what you mean by your example because I know what your example rests on. Because what went with the teaching, the conduct, the faith, the patience is what he believed. It, it's what he held to. It's the substance on, on, beneath all of this. As Paul nears the end of his life, he is saying to Timothy, you know everything you, you heard me say about Jesus, everything you've seen and everything you've heard, keep following. Lean in hard and follow more closely. Be imitators of me as I have followed Christ, he told the Corinthians. And, and that's what's key for you and I. The ultimate source of, of what, we, what we follow in Christ is revealed to us through the teachings of God's word. That's why he goes on in this passage and he says that you are to hold to the things that you have been taught, continue in them, verse 14, and what you've learned and believed. Verse 15, how you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You, Timothy, continue in, remain in, abide in the scriptures, the teaching of God's word. Your, your authority in life, Timothy, must be God's word. Not just the, the principle, not just a confessional statement that says we believe in the authority of God's word, but God's word must have authority over our lives, over our working, our parenting, our, our, our doing the, the everyday stuff of life. God's word must be the authority. Back in the late 18th, early 19th centuries, German theologians who would study the scriptures and also study a lot of the ancient manuscripts that helped show us how scripture was preserved, had for years, for centuries, had used that study to, to demonstrate over and over how historically reliable the scriptures are. They would show again and again how consistent these documents are and how, how much God's word has been clearly preserved in a miraculous way by God. But but again, around the late 18th, early 19th centuries, that shifted. The, the age of enlightenment brought the thought of, we're really smart. We'll decide what's, what's right and what's wrong here. We can, we can figure this out. And the new attitude toward Scripture was one of mistrust. And the idea was that these books of the Bible, often assumed to be the inspired Word of God, were now assumed to be written by ordinary faith communities going through different difficult circumstances and just sort of rambling about what they were going through at that time giving their own agendas. And so there was this skepticism so that the books of the Bible no longer were uniquely regarded as the word of God. And, and when that happens in the seminaries, it gets taught and it carries from the seminaries to the pulpit because the ones who learn it there to, to doubt the authority of Scripture then teach that doubt of the authority of Scripture. 2019 survey, so just a little over a year ago in Germany, less than a third of Germans identify as Protestant that is the birthplace of the Protestant Reformation. Less than a third identifies Protestant. That's not even saying born-again Christian. That's just saying we'd fit under a Protestant category. Less than a third. Of that group, only 11% believe in God with absolute certainty. That's an astounding number. 
say they believe in God with absolute certainty. We, we haven't even gone to, and they didn't ask in the survey, the question of do you believe that salvation is by faith in Christ alone? Presumably that number is even smaller. But that 11%, that's all that was left that even believed with absolute certainty in God, you can more than double that number of Protestants in Germany who believe in reincarnation and spiritual energy through physical objects, and you would more than triple that number to get to the number who would believe that life is just a matter of fate. All just sort of happens. There's no one really in charge. I say that to you because those are the consequences of consistent attacks on the authority of the Word of God. When you continue to undermine the idea that this is the uniquely inspired truth of God that you must continue in, eventually people hear that and they start to doubt it. And they've got nothing left to hold on to at that point. We, we see it in our own country. The nosedive here has been more recent. We've probably been in this century, the last 20 years, where the numbers have fallen the most. Gallup, four years ago, found for the first time in their polling on this subject, more Americans viewed the Bible as fables and moral precepts given by men than as the actual word of God. That's the old, glad you like it, glad it's helpful stories for you, but no, is it something that literally was revealed by God? No. The Ligonier Ministries every two years does this state of theology survey over four times doing it, eight years Every year they've seen a drop when the, the, the statement, I should say a rise actually, in, in this statement that the Bible contains helpful accounts of ancient myths but is not literally true. Up until last fall, 48% of Americans now say, yep, that, that sounds right, ancient accounts but not literally true. Among those in that survey who profess to be evangelical Christians, a quarter believe Jesus is not God, almost half that people are good by nature. You get the idea. I'm not trying to overwhelm you with numbers for this morning. No quiz on this. But when the Bible says, particularly there in verse 12, uh, verse, sorry, 13, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, it is talking about times that we are in. Times when things continue to go from bad to worse and deception continues to spread. And, and there is a more urgent need than ever right now in our lifetimes to say, this is God's word and we are called to continue in it, to learn it, to believe it, to not be moved off it. That's why he says to Timothy, but as for you, I know things are getting worse, Timothy. I know things look evil and dark, but as for you, continue, remain. The things that you have heard that have been taught to you and you've been convinced of, hold them. What rules your life? What is your ultimate authority? As you make judgments over what to do, is this right? Is this wrong? Should I do this? Should I not? What rules your life? What guides and, and directs your thinking? Because I would submit to you that what it, what it really boils down to, what guides and directs, is what you dwell on, what you, what you allow your mind to think on, what you fill your thoughts with. And if you allow your mind to, to, to constantly dwell on the things of the world and Scripture becomes sort of a backseat position, then, then, then that will guide and direct you. The proof of that, I think, is, is Paul's description of his own example in verses 10 and 11. Conduct, purpose, 
life, patience, love for others. Because that list that he gives in verses 10 and 11 all flows out of the first one. And I, I believe it's there because it takes primacy over the rest. You, however, have followed my, my teaching, the doctrine, and all of this flows out of it. My conduct and my purpose and my steadfastness all rest on what I fundamentally believe. Obedience to God and love of neighbor flowed from a commitment to the authority of this is what God's word says love of neighbor looks like. This is what it means to worship the one true God. So, so think about some of these things. Think about your conduct. Think about how people see your life as, as they watch you, as you respond to things, as you deal with pressure, how you talk, how, how you act when you're in your comfort zone around people that, that you're free to be yourself. What, what is your conduct look like in that moment? What do you do when you're by yourself, when you're facing temptation? Because your conduct will reflect what you're following, what you're, what you're dwelling your mind on, what your teaching is that you're, you're listening to. Think about your purpose in life. That's what, that's what it says when ESV says your aim, my aim in life. It really is my purpose. Why do I do what I do? When, when Monday morning rolls around, what, what it, and the alarm clock goes off at whatever hour it is for you, what, what engages you? What is it about? What are you going for? What, what moves your heart? What do I long for more than anything else? And how is that a reflection of what I am committed to and following and, and filling my mind with? My conduct, my purpose. What about my faith? Paul, when he says my faith there in verse 10, is probably speaking about the subjective sense of faith. The object is the gospel in Christ. The sub subjective is the, how I live my faith out. Do people see something distinctive in my life? Not just um, a different person, but a person who reflects Christ. Do they see Jesus Christ? Do they, they hear an allegiance to Christ? How is my life reproducing the gospel? And the next one he says is my patience. Don't ask this one, right? How about your patience? There's patience and there's steadfastness. Patience probably is more having to do with people. Steadfastness is having to do more with trials and circumstances. So here's the, here's the patience part. Am I, am I patient? Even with the people who really push the buttons, do I hang in there with them? Probably best on this one to ask this question of those who are closest to you, the, the ones we least want to ask this question of. Would you follow my patience? Would you follow the, is there something about the conduct of my life, about my patience, my forbearance with others that you would follow? Again, I, uh, understand, I, I'm not trying to say that we're, we're, we're supposed to be bragging that you, would you follow my life. You're following, hopefully you're following Christ as your Christ is working in that person. Am I submitting to Christ in a way that then if you follow my life, you're, you're following him? My love, how well do I fulfill the command to love my neighbor as myself? Is it a sacrificial love? Is it an active love? Is it a, a, a tangible love? Is it a love, biblical love is I elevate your well-being even over my immediate desires at that moment. I, I want the best for you. And then my steadfastness. This is the, the trials and circumstances. When I am in pain, when I am mistreated, when things are not going the, the way I want and there's a burden on me, do I show anything that would be worth others following? 
Would my steadfastness, my adherence to Christ, even in those? Because it's, it's in those circumstances that stuff gets squeezed out of us. What's in our hearts starts to come forth in our, in our voice, in our words, in our body language. It all starts to come out at that moment when we are facing trials. Is it steadfastness? Is it a sense that Christ is, is still in control even now? Because the truth is, is as, as Paul goes on to argue, if I believe in the authority of the word of God and I'm yielded to the authority of God's word, this stuff's going to happen. That's why he says there in verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul's experience here to Timothy was not an anomaly. He's not writing to Timothy saying, man, it is just, it's all going wrong for me at this point. I'm in prison. Everybody's deserted me. I don't know how much longer I've got here, but hey, th this is just an anomaly. Things are going to get better for you. It's all going to be fine for you. That's not what he's saying. He's telling Timothy these things so that Timothy has time to prepare, so that Timothy can reflect on these things and see steadfastness in them and learn from them. A great, a little long on, on quotes, but I want to read this whole thing. Commentator Philip Towner writes this. He says, but what about us? Christian life in the West, or perhaps even in much of the world these days, does not seem to carry much of a price tag. Certainly the truth of verse 12 will be more evident in Muslim countries. But has it no application to us? Should we go out looking for persecution? Or is it compromise in the so-called gray areas of life that makes this verse so distant? I firmly believe that genuine godliness evokes a combative response in unbelievers, even if the prevailing attitudes or laws make room for religious freedom. Do we shy away from taking a stand for Christ in the workplace, neighborhood, school, or family because we value human acceptance more than God's? If Paul's concept of godliness is understood and embraced by us, we can expect in some measure to pay the price of following Christ. I think that's a great response to that. The godliness that he talked about back in verse 5 that is empowered by God draws people to Christ, or it is the stench of death, as, as Paul also said in 2 Corinthians, it's the aroma of life to those who are coming to Christ, but it's also the, the judgment of Christ to those who are not, and so it will repulse, and it will put us in situations where we will be rejected, and yet, Paul says there's hope. He said it at the end of verse 11 when he talked about his persecutions that he endured, he says, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. What does he mean here? Because if you remember, as we went through Acts, I'm not sure that I would call it rescued. Paul was stoned nearly to death. Paul was beaten until he, he and Silas were bloody and hurting and put in stocks. And so Paul was not magically rescued in the sense that, oh, here comes persecution. He's whisked away by an angel and he, he's free from it. Paul actually endured it. And yet he says, from all of them, the Lord has rescued me. Because what, what, what Paul's saying here is, whatever I endured, Christ never abandoned me. My Savior strengthened me in those. I, I knew, just as he promised, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age. I knew in, in, in prison in Philippi or in, in, in beating outside the city that Christ had not 
abandoned me, and even if it ended in death, to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. And so I can say with confidence, in all of them, Christ rescued me. And he's urging Timothy to that. But that's why he then says to Timothy, here's, here's the heart of this, verse 14, but you, as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. Present tense imperative, ongoing command. You, Timothy, keep standing firm in the word. Keep submitting to the authority of God's word. Keep learning truths about Christ from God's word. Keep meditating on scripture. Keep submitting to it. That we don't get, because he, he speaks of that sacred writings that are able to lead us to salvation. We don't, we don't get saved, get an injection of God's word, and we are now inoculated and we've got it. We've got God's word and we've got all that we need. We must, as he says here, continue in it. That word means to remain, to abide, to stand in the same place. And that's what he's saying to Timothy. Linger here. Remain in this teaching. That, that, that's why Deuteronomy 6, teach your children in the, in the comings and the goings of life. Make the word be something that, that you're feeding them at, at, at all different opportunities so they, they hear the word of God and understand that this is a continuing thing. So listen, here's, here's what it comes down to for you and I. Think about where you abide. Simplest way to think about this is, where do my eyes go? Where do I spend my time and my focus? When, especially with the optional time. Some of you are you're caring for kids, and that's, that's keeping you busy. You've got a job, and that's, and that's where your eyes are. But what do you do with the other time when there's, there's free time with your eyes, to, to use that idea? Then, then where do your eyes linger? Where do they dwell? What do they spend time on? What do they watch? What do they take in? What are you filling your mind with? Bible reading and Bible study is something we must do as believers. That's just the, the practical implication of this. I, I, I don't mean by that, here it is January, reading plan time, right? Annual Bible reading plan time. I, I want the most aggressive plan there is, 10 chapters a day, three times through the Bible in a year. I don't mean that at all. I just mean being consistent to use the time well. To, to be in Scripture daily, to think on even just a few verses. God, how are, you, how are you speaking to my soul? What in my heart needs to respond to this and be convicted by this or encouraged by this? Or, or what, what here can I use for my friend who's, who's struggling right now? What, what in Scripture here will minister to me or minister through me in some way? Every believer needs some kind of at least systematic approach just to keep Keep pushing ourselves into Scripture, whether it's a chapter from the New Testament and a psalm and a proverb or whatever that might be for you. We must continue in God's word. His truth is to combat this deception. The players and some of the tactics certainly have changed from age to age and from Timothy's day, but for the battle, for the believer in Jesus Christ, the battle is still in will we continue in the truth we have been taught and have firmly believed and have become convinced of. And then that means we'll know it and we'll submit to it. It will be the authority. It will be ultimately what we yield to, even when it doesn't necessarily feel like our flesh wants to in that moment.
Let's pray. Father, we come before you as, as people grateful for real individuals in Scripture like Paul and Timothy, because we can, we can sort of see in them folks who went through it, folks who were struggling, folks like Timothy who were fearful at points, who felt um, thrust into the midst of situations that didn't even know if he was adequate for. And yet, Father, your word keeps, kept reminding Timothy as it reminds us, you, you're, you're not in your flesh. You are not adequate for this. You are not competent for this. It's my grace, my competence, my spirit at work that equips you for the tasks to which I have called you. Father, I pray for myself, for this body of believers, for grace, for those who are watching online, those who are here. Lord, I pray that you would, in our hearts, renew this desire, this hunger to, to know you, to be under your teaching, to read your word, to be moved by it, to have it rule over our lives, to help it, to have it help us make decisions and guide our direction and grant us wisdom. In the midst of a culture that the pollsters tell us is, is rapidly turning from the truth of Scripture and, and, and is not afraid anymore to say, those are fables. <laughs> those are myths that you're, you're staking your hope in. We pray for your spirit to give us strength and courage to not only hold fast and believe these things and continue in them, but to also trust in your provision and your rescue and your care and to not be swayed from these things by temptation or by others. Lord, even if the, even if the threat of persecution were to, to creep in, in our own country, we pray that you would, by your spirit, enable us to be those who would continue Continue to hold fast to what we have been taught in your word and what we believe gives life, your gospel. Lord, if there's anybody listening this morning, watching online, um, taking this in and in some way feeling like um, that they are not a believer in Jesus Christ, but maybe just Bible reading is the thing that pleases you and they just are going to check some boxes by watching a sermon and, and reading some Bible. I, I pray, Lord, that today they would, they would see... And as your word says, these sacred scriptures are able to give life through Jesus Christ. That the only hope for any of us is for the forgiveness of our sins through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. That he is the Savior who has come to offer himself for them in their place. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to um, just our hearts, and how we respond to everything that can come along in life, that you can guard our hearts through the truth of your word. Help us to, to love your word more and more, to fill our minds with it and cause your spirit to make it take root in us. And we pray all of this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.